word that we can listen to. Because he lives, we have hope that this life is not the end of our destiny. Well, we continue today our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We have entitled this series, Living on Earth, the Kingdom of Heaven. The Kingdom of Heaven means, first and foremost, the reign of God in our lives. But how is that reign manifested? For those of you who are visiting us for the first time, um, we have made it very clear throughout the sermon series that the reign of God is not referring simply to heaven. The, the kingdom of God refers to God's kingship, to God's rulership upon his people, upon the people whom he redeems. But how is that reign manifested concretely in our day-to-day -day lives? Well, as we have been looking through this series on the Sermon on the Mount, we have learned so far that it is manifested by adopting the values of the kingdom, the Beatitudes. It is manifested through pursuing righteousness and keeping or seeking after God's perfection. It is manifested by peeling off duplicity and hypocrisy. And it is manifested by praying kingdom-centered prayers. Well, today we will look at another dimension of how the reign of God in our lives is manifested very concretely, very realistically. The reign of God in our lives affects our views of treasures and worries. Hence the title today, Kingdom Views on Treasures and Worries. Our kingdom or the reign of God in our lives affects our views of treasures and our inclinations to worry. Would you open scripture to Matthew chapter 6? We'll be reading from verse 19 all the way to verse 35, and this will be the end of chapter 6. Next week, we'll continue with the beginning of chapter 7. But this morning, for those of you who are using one of the Bibles that is provided for you in the chair, you may find this passage on page 840. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 35. Here's the word of the Lord. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will wait, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Let's bow our head in prayer before the Lord. Father, we pray that through your holy word, which you have given to us as, as authority, as, as guides, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means to live out the reign of God, your reign in our lives. Father, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, you would enable us to, to see our values, our treasures, and our worries through the lens of your kingdom. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Well, let me ask you this morning, have you ever thought that God's salvation affects more than just rescuing our souls? Have you ever thought that God's salvation is more than just figuring out where you will spend eternity? Friends, salvation, God's salvation, affects our entire beings. Our beings right here and right now. God's salvation is not something that we experience only after we die. It affects what we do with our bodies right now. It affects how we manage our time right now. It affects our priorities now. It affects our marriages now. It affects our dreams and hopes in life which we have now. As we will see today, Belonging to the kingdom of heaven affects our views of treasures and our tendencies to worry. And as we will look at the teaching that Jesus gave here, we will discover why the kingdom of heaven has such a strong claim on how we view treasures and worries. As we will look at this passage, we will examine two things. First, we will see the, the treasure principle. 
the treasure principle, and then we will look at the worry tendency. The treasure principle and the worry tendency. We have both in our lives. No matter how much, how much money you have in your bank's account, bank accounts, no, ma- no matter how many, much need you have right now, we have both in our hearts and lives. But let's look at the treasure principle in verse 19. Right at the beginning of the passage we read, we see Jesus commanding his disciples not to store up for themselves treasures on earth. And he gives two reasons why we should not store up treasures on earth. Look at verse 19, the first reason. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, Jesus is saying that investing on earth is pretty risky. It's not a safe place for your investment. Now, recently, people have been rethinking very seriously this claim um, and been re-examining what are safe places to invest uh, your savings. Now, in previous years, people thought that you could invest in properties, And that would keep the value of your money pretty well, if not even increase some of that. But as it turns out, in most places in the country lately, most of the property values have gone down. Others have thought, well, perhaps we could buy gold so that our money uh, wouldn't lose their value. But friends, we may no longer be afraid of moth and rust today. But there are so many other factors in our world that are depreciating factors for our investments, for our savings. Jesus, however, knows of a safer place to invest your treasures. It's not the bank accounts in Switzerland. According to Jesus, the safest place for investment is heaven. Look at verse 20. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, friend, let me ask you, have you ever considered heaven as an investment place? I mean, honestly. Now, let me give you a warning. Make sure you know how to get there first so you can claim back those investments. But according to Jesus, I mean, if we take Jesus for his word, which we should, according to Jesus, storing up your treasures in heaven is the safest place for your investment because none of the earthly threats will be there. A second reason Jesus gives for not storing up treasures on earth is a little bit of a more weighty reason. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me clarify. Jesus is not saying that if you save up in heaven, you will go to heaven. Jesus is not saying that the way to go to heaven is by saving up in heaven. We don't go to heaven by giving money away. The heart, the, the the concept of a heart in the Hebrew world in the Hebrew con- in the Hebrew uh, worldview refers to the core of our being to the essence of our being so Jesus is not saying 
where your treasure is now, there you will go, necessarily. That's not what he's saying. The, to save up treasures in heaven means that our core being is set on heaven right now. To save up only on earth means that our core being, our hearts, are set on the things of the earth. In other words, the place of our treasure is the place on which our hearts are set on. Let me ask you, have you noticed how the things we most treasure govern our lives? Just look in, in someone's life who has just become a grandparent. And all of a sudden, this new treasure, this new grandchild starts changing the plans of those grandparents. We know that in our own lives. Our, our, my wife's parents are with us for two months now, and it, it, they change their plans because they want to be with us. They want to be with their grandchild. Friends, what we treasure most governs our lives. The things we value most will preoccupy our minds and our emotions. They will consume our time with planning and daydreaming. Now, there are many ways how we can show that our hearts have been changed by the gospel. There are many ways to show that we have a new nature in us, and the Bible tells us a number of ways. But one of the ways we show that our hearts have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is the fact that we start treasuring heaven over earth. Some people are turned off by talk about money in the church. And in some cases, I would say rightly so. Uh, there's a number of churches who, are, who seem they are on a treadmill of capital campaigns, of building new buildings and growing their, their kingdom. There are churches where talks about money or talks about raising money is more important and more often than talks about the gospel or about the cross of Jesus Christ. So I recognize that some churches may put an inordinate amount of attention on raising funds. But notice, in our passage, Jesus is talking about the treasure principle not because he's, uh, he's doing a capital campaign or a fundraiser. He's not, at, he's not even raising funds for the orphans. Jesus is talking about our treasures because he wants to talk about the human heart. And you cannot talk about the human heart without talking about treasures. That's what Jesus is doing in this passage on the Sermon on the Mount. How can we probe the heart of whether or not we treasure heaven? How can we know whether or not our heart is not self-deceived? Well, one factor, one way among others in the, New, in the New Testament, in the Bible, is by examining if we treasure heaven, we will save up our treasures there. And Jesus gives an interesting illustration, verses 22 and 23, that many people skim over, they, they read through this very quickly and just move on because they don't get it. Look at verse 22 and 23. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We have to ask not only what is the meaning of this imagery, but why is Jesus using this imagery right here? 
How is this imagery helpful in the argument Jesus is making? Well, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. He assumes that the eye, or seems to assume that the eye is a source of light for the body. Now, we know this is an illustration. Think about a, think about a dark room where there are no windows and no electricity. If you were to change that room and put a window in that dark room, you would consider that window as a source of light for that room. Now, we know scientifically windows are not the source of light. The, the, sunlight is, the sun is the only source of light, but because the window is the channel of that sunlight into the room, we would consider that the window is, is a source of light. In a similar way, Jesus says, your eye is the lamp of your body. Not in the sense that there is some sort of uh, special source in our eyes, in our physical eyes. Jesus is using this as a, as a metaphor, as an imagery. But the point he's saying is, the way, you, the way you, you see what comes up to you from above comes into the body, and that may shed light if the glass is clean, if the eye is good. Interesting, Jesus says, if your eye is good. That's an interesting word in the, in the Greek New Testament. Uh, really, the meaning of that word is plain or sincere or single-minded. It's an unusual way to describe your eyes. Single-minded eyes or plain eyes or sincere eyes. But it refers to the singleness of purpose as opposed to duplicity. Jesus is not talking about our vision. He's not saying you guys need to get some, some, some glasses that would help you see two images together. He's talking about something else. Look at how he ends. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, what exactly are we supposed to see clearly? What exactly are we supposed to see plainly with a single focus? Well, the answer is verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, we have to understand this notion of, of a master. A master in ancient times was not like an employer today. Today, you could have two employers if you had two part-time jobs, or one, part, one full-time job and another part-time job. And you could manage your time and, and do justice to both. But in ancient times, people could not be slaves of two different masters at the same time. A master had total claim on his slaves. And Jesus is saying, do you see this reality with your eyes? Are, our, are your eyes seen clearly? single-mindedly, sincerely? Friends, salvation is not like we take a second job while we keep the old one. Salvation is more like a, a change of masters. When we come to the knowledge of who, of who Jesus is, what He has done for us, He has died on the cross for our sins to redeem us 
of our guilt and to, to take us away from the wrath of God that was justly poured upon us because of our rebellion. Because we trust in Christ and we repent of our sin, we give ourselves to Christ and we declare that He's both our Savior and our Lord. Repentance means we say no to our old life. We say no to our idols and we look to God and look to Christ and we say, God, from now on, you are the master. Now, we may not get all the implications of what that means. We may learn that along the way. But when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we commit to the gospel of Christ, we are saying to God and we are saying to the world, and in the, in the waters of baptism, we say we die to the old life and we erase the new life. We have a new master. That's why the notion of having Christ uh, as only as Savior but not as Lord it makes no sense according to the evidence of Scripture. Here Jesus is saying plainly and clearly, it is impossible to serve two masters. And I wonder if some of us who have been saved a long time ago may still not see this clearly. And I wonder if, if some of us this morning may still be confused about this notion of the impossibility to serve two masters. I wonder if there's some of us this morning who are still trying to live the Christian life with two masters. Occasionally, I hear people who hate the church for talking about money. They would prefer to worship God in such a way that God would have no claim on their possessions. Such people think they can love God and continue to love their treasures. But think with me for a moment. What happens when God starts claiming some of those treasures back? Typically, people start resenting God. They begin despising God. They, beginning, they begin despising the church that communicates this to them. Many Christians are okay to worship God as long as He doesn't ask them to sell out everything and give to the poor. We think that if God would re request this from us, it would make us miserable. It would make us be the poor people. And we cannot imagine that God would ever do that to us. But what if God would actually ask you and me what he asked the rich young ruler? Would you despise him? Would you give up on him? Jesus' words are so true. You cannot serve God and Mamona. You cannot serve God and money, for he will either, we will either hate one or love the other, or we will seek after one and despise the other. Friend, let me ask you some questions that may be not as clear-cut, sell out your bank accounts, take away all your money and give it to the poor, give it to this organization. It may not be as clear-cut, but let me ask you some of the questions that reveal the tension that is between the two masters. Have you ever in your life slowed down spiritually in order to pursue your career? Have you ever taken a, a, a more superficial walk with God? You just took a little bit of a break in order to pursue something, a job or, or, or something that gave you a greater paycheck? Why is it that some people would prefer 
less church involvement so they could be pursuing their own dreams. And why is it that when we make those choices, it is interesting that we make them without being bothered? And yet, when God claims some of that time back, we become disturbed. I'm reminded of a story of, of, a, of a family who started pursuing God less and less because they had other interests in their family. Jobs and other pressures of life have other needs. They started worrying about, and they said, we got to be focusing on these, and they just started attending church less and less. They didn't care so much about reading their scriptures regularly. They didn't care about attending with regular uh, believers on a regular basis. And eventually, over a period of time, these Christians became just disconnected, isolated. And the pastor of the local church tried to reach them back, tried to, to connect with them. Other members in the church would try to reach out to them to say, so there's something happening with you spiritually that we're concerned about. But these folks would not, would not care, would not pay attention, would not pay any heed to the admonishment, to the encouragement of the pastor and the local church. One day, God brought a tragedy. One of their sons was killed. And this family came to the church because they were members of that church. And the pastor had to say, brother, sister, we care for you. We, want, we, we are concerned for you and we want to comfort you, but I wonder if God did not bring this into your life to get your attention. Of course, it, it may sound hard to say those things when somebody's going through a tragedy, but dear friends, somehow God, sooner or later, wants to tell us we cannot serve two masters. How, it, how easy it is for us to, to say no, slow and slower and slower to think of the things of God because we got other needs in our lives. We got other pursuits in our lives. Friends, do we see that with our eyes? Do we see what Jesus is saying and trying to, to teach us? We cannot serve two masters. We will either despise one or love the other. We will either seek after one and forsake the other. So the point about our treasures is that they reveal where our hearts are truly set on. I'm not saying Jesus is not telling us going and empty your bank accounts right now and, and give it out to the poor. That's not what he's saying specifically. He may say that to some of you in a very specific way, but what Jesus is saying is where your treasure is, that's where your heart is set on. And be careful, don't, don't ignore this reality that how you think, what you think of your values, your treasures, is a great indicator of the true nature of your heart. But there's something else that Jesus, that, that indicates, Jesus says that indicates a true pursuit of our hearts. Not only the place of our investments, but the inclinations to worry. Look at how verse 25 begins. Therefore, I tell you, or, or he says, because of this I tell you. In other words, Jesus, because of, of what I just said earlier, namely that you cannot serve two masters, Jesus is saying not only the rich people need to be careful of where they spend their resources and their savings, but those who are experiencing needs, those who say, I don't have any riches, I don't have any savings, if anything, I'm concerned about how I'm going to live tomorrow. Well, the, the, the principle of, of not serving two masters applies to worries just as much. That's why Jesus says, therefore, I tell you. Why therefore? Because of the impossibility of serving two masters. But look at the, the teaching of Jesus. He says that we will be those who lack needs, those who, who lack resources and have needs in their lives, 
for them serving to masters is displayed by the fact that they engage in worry. Now, let me be clear here. The meaning of the word worry is not simply being responsible and being wise with the things God gives you. Lazy people do not worry. But their lack of worry is not caused by spiritual health. It is caused by their sinful laziness. So, Jesus is not saying don't worry in the sense of don't, don't be responsible. He's saying be responsible, take care of the things you need to take care about. But, but Jesus is talking about a sinful worry. Notice what we should not worry about. Jesus says in verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And Jesus gives two examples in verses 26 to 30 of birds of the air and the example of the grass in the field. The point of the example of the examples is not that we should seek to be like birds or be like grass. Jesus says in verse 30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In other words, Jesus is saying, if God can provide for the grass of the fields and for the birds of the air, can we trust him that he will take care of us? The presence of worry is the lack of trust in God's provision. And Jesus says, look at the way God provides for nature. And you are so much more important than, than, than grass and, 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 and birds. And notice how serving a second master displays itself when we encounter needs. We are consumed with questions such as, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? Now, these questions are not bad in and of themselves. They're bad when they're motiva- motivated by anxiety. They're bad when we raise these questions because we lack faith in God's provision. Verse 32 tells us that pagans run after these things, but we should know something that pagans don't know. We should know that our Heavenly Father knows that we need these things and we need to trust in Him. So it is wrong to ask these questions in such a way as if we give the impression that God does not know that we need them. It's also wrong to ask these questions in such a way that we seek to address these needs above seeking the kingdom of God. The therapy for dealing with anxiety is not telling one another, stop worrying. It won't help. The way to deal with anxiety is is given to us in verse 33. Look at how Jesus tells us. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In the middle of having needs, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. The problem with anxiety is that it makes us seek first the things we worry about. Now, when a person is caught up in the trap of anxiety and worry, don't just tell them, stop worrying. It won't help. Lead that person to see and encourage them to seek first the kingdom of heaven. As long as that person seeks first after the things of the earth, that person will continue to worry about the needs that that it has. True healing begins when we experience the change of heart, a change that will start seeking first after God's kingdom, a heart that will start seeking after God's righteousness. Notice, however, that seeking after the kingdom of God does, uh, does not mean that God will enable us that ski trip 
or that vacation to Hawaii. The needs Jesus is addressing are the basic needs of existence. Jesus is not promising that he will give us the luxuries we desire. Friends, for some of us, the quickest and easiest way to be healed from certain worries is to begin seeing some of our felt needs as they truly are. Not as basic needs, but as luxurious desires. Friends, some of our worries are clear displays of serving two masters because we're governed by the desires of materialism and we need to choose between the two masters and to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So how can we experience healing from anxiety, from worry? We need to repent of trying to serve two masters. We need to repent of trying to serve two masters. If in the first half of the sermon Jesus was talking about those who had plenty and for them focusing on earth was displayed on, on how and where they saved up, in the second part of the sermon Jesus was addressing people who had needs and for them focusing on earth was displayed by the act of worrying. In both scenarios Jesus is teaching his disciples to treasure the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. Friends, let me give you this hint. When we treasure the kingdom of heaven above everything else, we will seek it. Now, later, later in this gospel, Jesus is teaching his disciples and giving two illustrations of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, he said in Matthew 13, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and is hid again and again. And for, from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who seeks uh, fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, to become part of the kingdom of heaven means that we recognize what an incredible treasure that kingdom is for us. It's a treasure that becomes ours, and therefore it's worth leaving everything behind to pursue it. Friends, Scripture tells us that when we exchange masters, when we repented of our sins and turned to Christ, we are being enriched in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4 and 5, Paul says, I always thank God for you because of His grace given to you in Christ Jesus, for in Him you have been enriched in every way. Friends, if we don't see Christ as our treasure, as the one who, in whom the treasures of wisdom and knowledge have been hidden, we will not joyfully store up treasures in heaven. And you will continue to be bothered and despised whenever you hear other Christians talk about treasures and, and storing up treasures in heaven. And I encourage you, if Christ is not your treasure, it doesn't matter if you've been baptized, it doesn't matter if you have given your life to Christ, realize the gospel at its core means that Christ becomes our treasure. The kingdom of God becomes so valuable to us that we leave everything behind. Friend, if you have experienced a, a what's, what's called a conversion experience in the past, but these things were not clearly spelled out to you, I question and wonder if your salvation has been genuine. To understand what you're giving up yourself to is to understand that you are indeed seeing the kingdom of heaven as a greatest treasure. And I'm calling you today to repent. I'm calling you today to come to Christ in a way that is genuine, in a way that sees Christ as the greatest treasure. For those of us who have made that, for those of us who have understood that, 
we have today an opportunity. We're invited to do something, to display the treasures of God. God's greatest treasure has been Jesus Christ. And God has given us His greatest treasure to come on earth, to live an earthly life, a perfect life, and yet die on the cross. And God's treasure, Jesus Christ, and the treasure of Jesus, His only life, His body on earth, He gave all of that for us so that we may be enriched. For those of us who have seen the riches of God, who have experienced the gospel as a treasure of God, today we are invited to partake of the Lord's table. But let me ask you before we do that, as we prepare our hearts, let me ask you, do you see God as your treasure? Do you see Christ as your treasure? Let us pray. Father, you who did not spare your own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will you also not give us freely everything else, both the things we need in this life, but the riches and the inheritance that we will experience for eternity with Jesus? Father, we pray. We pray that the kingdom, that your reign would affect the way we see our treasures, our values, and our worries. Lord, we pray that we would give ourselves to you and we would see indeed in you the greatest treasure we have ever seen and experienced. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord.